This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. This is your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, joined by my co-host, who is on assignment in lovely Las Vegas, Nevada. Dan Murphy, how are you? I'm uh, three hours uh, behind, ahead, bleary-eyed. I don't know what I am, but uh, I'm here for the podcast, and I'm uh, I'm I'm surviving Vegas once again. Yeah, figuring out the uh, the timing of this one was tricky. <laughs> I need to be sure you were up. <laughs> Didn't want to do it in the middle of the day because uh, you're over at the Cauliflower Alley convention, annual convention. Lots to do, so uh, trying to squeeze it around uh, your schedule. What You got there, what, uh, yesterday? Uh, day before yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, yes. I got there Sunday. I missed my fl- my uh, my scheduled flight. I've never missed a flight before, oh, but I had a flight scheduled for 6 a.m., and I woke up and looked at the clock, and it was 6.45. Oh, jeez. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I got to the airport. I managed to get on another flight and get it all, make it all work out. Uh, stressful. And then it was, you know, pure turbulence for the entire yeah. flight to Vegas. So, uh, but other than that, it's been pretty good. So, um, you know, here at Cauliflower Alley Club Reunion, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of doing triple duty maybe, Um Selling copies of my book, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, on women's wrestling uh, with PWI, kind of here to scout for the 500, look around, talk to some people, and, and everything else. Um, and also, uh, I'll be doing a moderating a panel discussion this afternoon on uh, okay. the legacy of the fabulous Mula. Wow. Um, so it, it's going to be pretty good. We have a really great uh, panel of women um, and, and more unexpected women. Judy Martin's here, who I didn't know would come, and, and several others. and. Um, it's been uh, really good so far, and uh, it, it only looks to get uh, better. Uh, the, tomorrow night is the big banquet. Uh, Shawn Michaels is getting the top award. Uh, Blue Demon Jr., Harlem Heat, or some of the other honorees. So uh, it should be uh, a fun couple days. Who else is on your uh, your panel? Uh, the panel, it is. Let me actually get the, the names here in front of me so I have them all because I did just kind of roll out of bed, and my brain's not fully functioning <laughs> yet. Uh, we have uh, Malaya Hosaka, Joyce Grable, Princess Victoria, who's receiving an award from the Cauliflower Alley Club this uh, this year, uh, Beverly Shade, and Despina Montaigas. Wow. And it's kind of neat panel because you have uh, Despina, who was trained by Mula and then went separate, went on her own. Uh, Beverly Shade, who never, she was an independent, who never really worked with Mula other than a couple of tours of uh, Japan and one of the Northeast. Uh, Joyce Grable, who was trained by Mula and then became one of Mula's top trainers, so she was with her for a long time. Uh, Malaya, who came in right towards the tail end of Mula's run uh, and took the name, the modern day Mula, as a tribute to Mula. And uh, Princess Victoria, who um, had a big feud with uh, Mula going out, in ring feud, not behind the scenes, but she wrestled her many times and had a lot of good matches. So it's people who knew Mula in different capacities, and some Malay is still active today. I think it's a good kind of cross-section of panelists, and we'll see how it goes. You, you expect a, a range of opinions there about Mula? Well, you know, the panel, I pretty much know. I've had an opportunity to talk to everybody in, in, in preparing, kind of to get a feel for where everybody stands. Um, and there is a range. The thing is, it's there's going to be several hundred people in the room, and, uh, you know, 
I don't know. We're going to open it up to a Q&A afterwards. And that's where it gets tough because you don't know what the rest of the room's opinions are. So, you know, uh, I know it's controversial. Mula is definitely a polarizing figure. There are some people here who, who love her and adore her and see her as a woman who empowered other women and, and was this mother to everybody. And there are some people here who think she was the devil incarnate. Yeah. And, uh, We'll see how it all works out today, but uh, it, it should be, at least be it should be interesting. We'll, we'll say that. Are you gonna have uh, any video or anything off of that? That's the kind of thing that I'm sure fans would would love to see on YouTube. That's exactly like that. it. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Uh, we pulled this together at the last minute. Uh, it was a replacement for another seminar we were going to do with the destroyer who was ill and couldn't travel. Um, I don't. And then Ron Hutchison, uh, who is the uh, the trainer and, and uh, based in Toronto, he is the one who runs the seminar series at Cauliflower Alley Club. Uh, I was out with him a couple nights ago. Uh, we were on Fremont Street, big group of us. And, and midway through the night, he, he just said, I'm not feeling well. And uh, we leave. We go back to the hotel. Uh, next thing you know, he's in the hospital. Oh my uh, he had a, a prob- problem with his kidney. He, he wasn't able to pass any fluids and they had to drain I don't know how, how many cc's they had to drain that. He, he was in danger. We found out of his bladder bursting. Oh, wow. Um, so he's, he's, uh, in a diminished capacity right now. He's out of the hospital. He's safe. Everything's good. But, uh, certainly, you know, between, uh, the last minute nature of this panel and the person running the, the series getting ill, you know, I don't know exactly what to expect in terms of filming or anything like that, but we'll see how it goes. We'll call it in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds kind of uh, chaotic. Wow. Uh, well, glad you're uh, enjoying your time over there. We got a lot to talk about um, here on the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about the big greatest Royal Rumble show from last week. Uh, less interested, uh, Dan, in talking to you about the actual show and the content. And I think more interesting uh, would be talking about some of the circumstances, the politics, controversy uh, surrounding uh, the whole trip over there. Uh, we'll cover that and uh, other current events we haven't talked since the roster shakeup, so kind of a, a different WWE than we last um, discussed and uh, whatever else comes up. Uh, right now, let me uh, tell you a bit about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. It is the annual report card issue, um, and uh, we've got our A-plus players on the cover. A lot, lot more in this issue. My hot seat interview with Alexa Bliss. Uh, features on Austin Aries, on Kurt Hawkins, um, and a lot more. Um, you can pick that up now, and uh, I think, well, now we're officially in May, in a couple of weeks, uh, the next issue comes out, which is going to be kind of our post-WrestleMania issue. It's got uh, your feature, Dan, on real winners uh, and losers. Um, I've got a hot seat interview with uh, Don Callis and Scott Demore, the new kind of uh, heads of TNA Creative. Well, what was TNA? What is now Impact Wrestling? We had a great conversation, and uh, it's in there. And uh, the annual PWI poll, right? Uh, Dan, what would you uh, tell us about what's expect in this year's poll? Well, the poll's always interesting. It's a nice barometer of, of really what, what fans are, are looking at. I mean, basically, we go through a random sampling of some of our subscribers, and we put about 50 questions to them um, from, you know, who is the best pound for pound wrestler in the business to a variety of other pieces. Uh, you know, uh, what was the best pay-per-view of the year, things like that. Um, and what their predictions are for the future. But it really gives us a nice um, gauge of what the fans perspective is um, and, you know, where they think wrestling's going, where it is right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it's a really nice uh, kind of snapshot of the business as a whole from the fans' point of view. So it's always a good issue. 
Yeah, a lot of the uh, uh, the big kind of landmark issues that we do deal with wrestlers uh, themselves, whether it's the PWI 500 or the report card or the uh, achievement wards. Uh, what's interesting about the poll is that um, it, it does deal with some uh, wrestlers and, and kind of who's the best. And uh, I, there's usually like questions about best brawler, best technical wrestler. I don't know what's in there uh, this year. But what's also fun is just looking at some issues, right? I mean, whether it is... Um, uh, current events, uh, that kind of thing, or even talking about the the most effective finisher or uh, yeah. uh, business questions. Um, so, Whether the business is better off now than it was yeah. five years ago, things like that. And right. It's, Prestige it's, of titles, right? That, that's usually yep. one. Yep. yep. Uh, so, so yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's kind of a different look than we, we take um, in any other issue during the year. So you definitely want to check that out. Uh, I'm just looking it up. I think the print issue comes out um, near the end of the month, but that means that the uh, digital edition, uh, I imagine, will come out uh, pretty soon, next couple of weeks. Uh, so what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com, and you could buy the one issue, uh, subscribe either to the digital or print edition. The longer you subscribe, the deeper the discount. And uh, we're already getting work on the issue after this, right? What what, what are you starting to get to, to work on, Dan? Uh, I believe we are, I, I think, is there a big SummerSlam story? Yeah, I'm issue? doing that. Was that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that. I'm going to be looking for a, uh, a possible column here from Cauliflower Alley. Um, this is going to be kind of a weird issue because it is not the WrestleMania issue, and it's not the PWI 500. It's the one that comes in, in between. between. Yeah. So for me, I think that uh, my workload is going to be a little bit lighter, I hope. Uh, because I'm starting to get some of this, the uh, prepare for the 500, at least get some lists mm -hmm. together and, and get all of that. So uh, this is kind of uh, maybe a lighter issue for me, hopefully, other than, you know, what I'm doing out here in Vegas. Yeah, what's fun about this issue is because of that, because we don't have a big sort of project, um, I don't believe, uh, like we do in, in the 500 or the poll or uh, whatever else, the Achievement Awards, it, it does give us a chance to uh, kind of, spread our wings a bit, write about some, some wrestlers and some topics and features that um, we don't usually. So I've got a couple things. I'm not sure what's going to come out, but I've, I've pitched a couple stories. I'm interested in doing something about um, kind of the, the, the boom in, in um, crossover between pro wrestling and MMA with Ronda being the most obvious one, but there's so many others right now. Uh, hoping to talk to uh, Filthy Tom Lawler for that story. And You know, uh, it's funny that you bring that up. Last night, I, I don't follow... I, I appreciate MMA. I love watching it, but I don't follow it on an ongoing uh, pattern. Uh, there was an MM fighter, MMA fighter here, a UFC guy, and I, I can't remember his name, uh, but he was here at Cauliflower Alley last night when there was a show. He got involved in, in one of the matches and kind of came in and interfered and got in the ring with the heels. Like, he turned heel and joined them. Really? So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I forget, He's definitely a recognizable name, too. I, if I'd had an opportunity to look it up, I would, but uh, another example of an MMA guy who, you know, the, it, it used to be in the beginning, a lot of the MMA guys who didn't fully embrace pro wrestling. You had like Severin and Shamrock, eventually Shamrock and Mark Coleman was kind of getting into wrestling, but the rest of the guys wanted to stay far away from it because yeah. wrestling is that's pro wrestling. I, I'm legitimate, whatever. Now you're just seeing a lot of guys who are just like, well, why not? Like, I mean, it's different, but there are similarities and and it's entertainment. So, you know, why not kind of blur those lines a little bit, you know, with, with Brock and Rhonda and, you know, the things that Conor McGregor's doing look more like right. pro wrestling than any pro wrestlers doing. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I, yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting and makes me want to do the story is that for years when, when UFC was, was really hot some years back, what you heard a lot was pro wrestlers saying, oh, if I had to do it over again, I would have gone into to MMA with the idea being that it's, you know, more, more proves you're more kind of legit and tough and, and a real fighter. Um, and I remember Undertaker talking about that. I think The Rock talked about that. There was a number of guys. Um, and now it's kind of gone 180 degrees, right? Where you're seeing more and more uh, MMA fighters cross over. And um, in in some ways you get it. It's like they, they get to keep the physicality uh, of what they like in MMA and kind of simulate, simulate combat. Um, but uh, also... You know, you, you the 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 rush the of of a win. Um, well, I mean, for one thing, is you know when you're going to win. <laughs> you know, you know when you're going to have that rush. And um, I think you've seen that with Ronda Rousey. Ronda Rousey's talked about how she feels her entire MMA career and everything she did before this led her to to this, and this was her real calling in life. And just observing as a fan, uh, Ronda's looking to have more fun than than she ever has. I mean, it it really it's been a transformation, and and cool to see her enjoying herself. Um, getting into it as much as as she has, but you know, uh, a few months ago when they were in, um, uh, I guess it was Vegas for for Fastlane, and and Ron did the angle uh, with the contract signing. Cain Velasquez, former UFC heavyweight champion, one of the most uh, uh, probably accomplished heavyweight fighters, uh, was there at ringside. And after that, he was talking about how how he was interested in in rematching Brock in WWE. So. Um, there, there's a lot. So anyway, I'm promoting a story that, that is two issues away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, but, but lots in the current issue, lots in the next issue. And, uh, as we're talking about, there'll be plenty in the issue after that. And then after that, it's the PWI, uh, 500, our, our big issue of the year. So if you want to be sure you don't miss any of it, pwi-online.com is the place to go. Um, and uh, while you're there, subscribe to the podcast. Um, you can listen to it, stream it on, on our website, pwi-online.com. Thanks to Podbean. Uh, or subscribe on iTunes. And uh, please follow us on uh, Twitter at official PWI and uh, send us an email here at pwipodcast at outlook.com. Uh, Dan, so let's talk about uh, the greatest Royal Rumble. And uh, I've got a lot to say about it uh, for sure. So, but before I, I go on too long, wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the controversy, as it were, about WWE running the show um, in Saudi Arabia, uh, given. Um, a lot of what's known about uh, that country and and that culture and um, the fact that women were not allowed to compete uh, on the show, the fact that uh, uh, Sami Zayn was not who is from Syria was not allowed uh, to to be on the show. Uh, the after the show, they <laughs> the the uh, Saudi government issued an apology for WWE's uh, ad um, that was, you know, I think to most wrestling fans, innocent enough. It was just promoting that the uh, the pay-per-views going forward were going to be uh, dual-branded and happened to have a couple of women in it in their wrestling year, and this was deemed indecent by the Saudi government. Um, so this all left uh, a lot of people, a lot of fans and observers with kind of uh, icky feeling about WWE um, doing business with uh, this country and their government. And there's a number of things you could point out. I mean, there was the whole royal family there in the front area, no women. Um, you know, it was really a surreal scene, these like leather lounge chairs. And um, again, all these kind of royals walking around, 
halfway interested in what was going on in the ring. And the card itself, uh, I mean, and again, I'm less interested in talking about the content of the card, but the card itself says something about what the show was. I mean, it was it was just weird. I mean, uh, Triple H versus John Cena, uh, two of the biggest stars of the last 20 years in the opener, um, and an Undertaker casket match. And uh, not just the Royal Rumble, but a 50-man Royal Rumble, the biggest Royal Rumble with a lot of returning stars. Um, so this very much had uh, a feeling of a a business transaction, right? It was like, the, we're going to pay you to put on this show. And WWE took the money and, and put on the show. And um, I guess that's where the debate is. Um, does WWE have a larger responsibility uh, to distance themselves from uh, a country that has some very questionable uh, political policies and reputation for uh, human rights violations and, and that kind of thing? Or, you know, are they a wrestling company? You pay them to put on a show. They'll go. They'll put on a show from you. A lot of people made a lot of money, um, including many wrestlers, probably one of the best paydays uh, of, of the year, short of WrestleMania. Um, so anyway, there's a long setup. What, what was kind of your take on it? Uh, well, basically it's business. Uh, WWE is not, you know, as much as, as we are, are fans and are passionate about it. And, and it feels like wrestling is this niche community and fandom and, and everything. And, and it is, but WWE is, is this corporate monolith and they're going to do business with other countries. Um, Pepsi does any other global brand does WWE aspires to be that. They have shareholders who are very happy with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't blame WWE for, for taking advantage of a sold show and going out there and doing this. And I think it's, it's, there's certainly aspects of the Saudi regime that you may not agree with. It, it, it's uh, the treatment of women, obviously, uh, racial intolerance, uh, religious intolerance, and segregation. I mean, those are things that, you know, those are vile things. And sexuality However, is a big one, right? I mean, uh, you say no. homosexuality, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And and but WWE running a show there doesn't necessarily mean that they endorse those things, obviously. Um, but if they're ever going to work with other countries, and I mean the U.S. globally, I guess, if we're ever going to if we're ever going to coexist with other countries in this global age where the internet happens and we have a, a kind of a shared commonality that that didn't happen when we had these geographic borders and no internet no global communications network if we're going to move por forward with that and coexist we have to begin to kind of tolerate uh differences to a degree until we can find a middle ground and i think wwe doing that show over there was really for some of those kids who were there and and cheering and and seeing something like the wwe spectacle live i mean that, that blew their minds they've never seen anything like that it was incredible and it's that's something that, that shows promise for the future where, you know, maybe there's not all the differences between cultures and maybe we can find that common ground. And yes, it wasn't the full WWE experience. There weren't the women, there was, you know, Sammy wasn't allowed in things like that, but it, it's a starting point. I think yeah. um, now somebody had said downstairs uh, here in cauliflower alley club, and I don't know if this is completely true, but um, so I'm reporting it regardless of doing any fact checking, but no, <laughs> to bring up on, on the podcast, at least Fake news. somebody was saying that, um, the, the Saudi King who negotiated it or whatever, at least the rumor is he went to Vince McMahon and said the three wrestlers he yes. wanted to get on the show 
Did the, has this been reported? Is this uh, Dave Meltzer reported. If, if, I, I think okay. I know where you're going. Okay. Yeah. That the three that he wanted were uh, the Undertaker, the Ultimate Warrior, and Yokozuna. And yeah. you know, two of those, you know, are, are dead. I mean, it, it, well, it, it just shows <laughs> maybe the all three of them are. Right. And the right, third the one is man. the dead man. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is, um, it, it just shows that they don't really know the product. Mm-hmm. They have a passing familiarity of a bygone era, and they wanted to bring it in. So, you know, it, it's a starting point. It, it, a lot like the Moolah session I'm doing earlier today. Um, there were certainly some bad things about Moolah, but there were some good things. She did provide work and, and brought in a lot of women and taught women who, who were homeless or runaways, gave them a place to stay and taught them a living, you know, for good or for bad. Um, so nothing is necessarily black or white, but there's a lot of shades of gray with it. So I think overall the show was a good thing. It was good for um, world communication, world peace maybe in a naive way um but certainly it, it was a little bit of a uncomfortable show you know finn baylor not doing not having any of the rainbow yeah. stuff or anything like that now he claims uh, it had nothing to do with anything he just hasn't worn it for a while i don't know how much i believe that he came out no, last I, night on raw with it, it um and and that was another well l- l- let me weigh in here uh and and i agree about some of what you said and um but I think the point about, again, wanting the Ultimate Warrior and, and Yokozuna there um, touches on the part of of um, of the show that I was very uncomfortable with. And that is that you got the sense that WWE handed off too much um, of control, ceded too much control of the show to uh, the Saudi government. Now, it, if it was purely a transaction, right, if it was... You know, they're paying us to put on a show. We'll go over there and we'll put on a show. Um, And that's all it was. Then I would have been uh, more fine with it. But but the part that made me uncomfortable is that WWE did take a step past there. And it became a lot of, um, again, not just ceding control to to the Saudis, uh, but taking part in their propaganda. I mean, in the middle of the show, there was like this five-minute little mini-documentary. It was a propaganda piece about um, how, you know, these strides that that um, uh, the new Saudi regime is making in terms of being progressive because women can drive now. Um, and it was kind of, whatever you think about about all these issues, it was sort of nauseating for WWE to be bending over backwards um, to put over um, the Saudis and how welcoming and gracious they've been and how progressive this new prince is. And that's the part where I feel like they overstepped. If they had just left it alone and just put on a show and, I mean, obviously you reference you're in this country and um, I guess to some extent it, it's fine to thank your hosts, but it, it and, and I think part of it was a defensiveness to some of these criticisms so uh, here you're putting on a show, and it's not just that that women weren't allowed on the show. It it's the the unique time and place that WWE is at right now with its women, uh, and how much they've said and how much of their own propaganda has been about uh, advancing the cause of women and how progressive they are. And you know, the biggest star in the company right now is Ronda Rousey, and they just came off of doing the first ever Women's Royal Rumble and the first. Um, Elimination Chamber, and uh, it really is a a special time 
for women in wrestling. And then Saudi government says no women on our show. And again, they, they just kind of roll over. And I don't know how much realistically you could you can do there. I'm and and I also wanna be mindful um that and I think Triple H touched on this and I don't know how much I, I believe everything he said, but it's true that you can't in, impose your culture on uh, another culture. So as backwards as it could seem to a lot of Americans that um you know women you have to be covered up in public and and aren't allowed to go to shows like this and just learned um, or just were giving the right to drive. And apparently there are still all kinds of limitations on even going to the movies and, and things like that. Um, the, the fact is there's been times in American history where, where we've had a lot of policies that were very backwards. Um, and some people could argue that there are still some that, that are pretty backwards. So, yep. uh, but, but, you don't have to co-sign it, right? So, um, and and again, I can't know how much negotiating they did do, right? Maybe the show would have looked even more different if they they didn't do some negotiation. I mean, I can't imagine what. I mean, I don't. I didn't see anything that could be taken as a a win for WWE. Um, but you wish there was more. I mean, you wish. Um, you know, I, I forget where it was. Was it Abu Dhabi where they they had um, they 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 did negotiate to allow women to wrestle, but they were, they wore different gear. They were all covered up. Um, yeah. and it sounds like the long-term plan is maybe, um, to get there. Uh, but it, it did feel not just like WWE, uh, and, and I want to be careful with my words here, but, but certainly there's been criticism over the last week that they sold out. Uh, and, it, it, and I don't mean sell out the building. Well, I mean sold but, out but their the their ethics. But it's not just but that they sold out their ethics. It's that they sold out. They could be argued they sold out their own people. I mean, how do you go and you put on a show and just say, "Sorry, ladies, you can't come." You know that that's uh, it. It's very t- distasteful. And uh, right, Triple H says, "Well, you know, we're we're trying to be part of a solution." Are you really? What responsibility do you, does WWE have? to uh, try to, you know, change the culture, make it more progressive in Saudi. Let's be honest about what this was. They paid you a crap load of money and, and you took it. And and part right. of me understands that. And they're running a business. And and uh, artists from of, from all forms of entertainment are, are known to do private gigs, corporate gigs, and even these kind of gigs where they go to a foreign government and they get paid a ridiculous amount of money and put on a show for a king or something like that. Um, and... And I understand it to an extent. the 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 problem is that WWE went further than they went in taking part in that propaganda in in putting over uh, this culture. I just wish they had left it alone. I mean, I'm not exact. You know, I'll I'll admit that that my thoughts on this maybe aren't totally fully formed. But I'll say that I think there was a way to put on this show um, that would have left people with less of a feeling of like wanting to go take a shower afterwards. I mean, all of it was, um, there was a real kind of gross feeling after the whole thing. I don't know that that could have been completely eliminated given the circumstances of the show, but I think it could have been mitigated some. Possibly, but I'll tell you that the people who, who didn't want to take a shower after the show were the, the shareholders, Yeah, you know, and, and that's sure. Now, if there are, I mean, there are artists, for example, who went like little Steven Van Zandt, uh, wouldn't play Sun City, and, and they led to a boycott of South Africa during apartheid. And, and that was noble and the right thing to do. You know, there were other bands who were going and playing there, and in, you know, 
in uh, implicitly um, agreeing with the government, at least agreeing to play there and, and support apartheid by not actively boycotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, WWE is not a, an artist. It's not a, it's, it's a company. It's just kind of a giant entity whose job is to make money. Now, certainly you want to do that in an ethical way. And there was nothing, I don't think necessarily, well, yeah, it, there were some unethical aspects of, of running a show there, but in the bottom, the bottom line is their, their corporate mission is to make money for their shareholders and the women who didn't work the show, I believe they got a, a bigger, they got a payout. So I, I don't mean, know that. I mean, I've heard some of that. I wish they would confirm been, that. One yeah. Way or the other. That's, that's been rumored and everything else, but it, you know, in the end of the day, yeah, you, they missed the opportunity to go and, and have this, this life uh, experience and be on that stage. But on the other hand, hey, you get to stay home and, and we're paying you a bonus for it. It's not bad, you know, coming after WrestleMania when it might be nice to not travel and, and stay home for a week and, and not take a, what, 14, 16-hour flight and, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So, I mean, certainly, you know, again, I, I just think that expecting – ethical behavior from a corporation is you're not going to get it necessarily. I mean, there's different degrees of how ethical or unethical a company might be, but as long as you're doing something that's profitable and it keeps the shareholders happy and, and this did, then they're, they're going to do it. And maybe if it worked out, okay, maybe, you know, they did, maybe they can make a, uh, a concession. If they do it again next year or two years from now, we do want to have a women's match. We'll have moderate, you know, some kind of new gear, some kind of new something to, to kind of, again, meet it halfway, but advance the, the cause forward a little bit. But, you know, I don't expect them to be the ones WWE, you know, aggress- aggressively. I mean, again, we're just 10, 15 years away from brawn panties matches and yeah. puppies and everything else. I mean, if you look from a 2018 point of view of what WWE was doing in 1998, they were the most backwards, sexist, prude mm-hmm. company around. So, I mean, and that was 20 years ago. Saudi Arabia has had this culture for thousands of years. You know, it's not going to change right away. But Yeah, yeah. It, it goes a, a step past that, uh, though, right? I mean, it's more than just about differences in culture. Uh, I mean, there's all kind of evidence the Saudi government had a hand in, in funding some of, of the uh, events of, of 9-11. Um, there, there's... Uh, uh, a lot of reasons past some cultural differences where a company might want to think twice about doing business with, with this country. Um, so Agreed, but we've also had presidents, you know, from sure, George yeah, Bush holding and Obama. hand in hand with Saudi exactly, princes. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes. So, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, if, if the president is willing to hold hands with the Saudi princes for these photo ops, then, I mean, certainly you can't expect WWE of all uh, companies to to be held to a loftier ideal than the U.S. president. But you can argue that a a president, I mean, you mentioned um, um, the, the mission of world peace before. Obviously, that's more of a priority and part of the job description for a president than it does for a wrestling company. So um, I don't know what WWE's obligation is to, to do any of this. So you're right. I mean, they're a public company and um, they are beholden to their investors and strictly from a financial standpoint, this was a, a very profitable show to run and not just for the company, but um, you, know, you see Chris Jericho come out of semi-retirement and Rey Mysterio and a lot of other guys. And I've heard some of these paychecks were obscene. Um, 
but is there, and this is always kind of tougher to quantify, but, but it, it, is there something to be said from a business perspective of maybe gaining more in the future in terms of, of goodwill and building a reputation um, for integrity, especially given, again, all the other things that are part of uh, charitable efforts here and, and being at the forefront of uh, really empowering women in, in sports and entertainment. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if they just turned it down, nobody would ever know. So there's, there's no win there. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I think of like, uh, maybe not the best analogy, but, but years back when CVS stopped selling tobacco, right. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure every drugstore, that type of store, uh, makes uh, a lot of money selling cigarettes. And, um, I don't know how much of it was just motivated by doing the right thing, but I think from a business standpoint, they thought there's a lot of good PR here in being the the one drugstore that steps up and says, no, we're not going to be hypocrites and be promoting health on one side and then selling cigarettes on the other. We're getting out of the cigarette business. And I imagine there was a a business strategy there of what we're going to lose in tobacco sales, we're going to gain in, in goodwill and and maybe customers that will come in for other stuff because now we've built the reputation of being the drugstore that won't sell tobacco. Again, maybe not the best analogy, but I, I wonder if even from a business perspective, WWE might have been better off. If not turning down the show, maybe being... Um, a little more firm, a little less kind of rolling over, um, being out there. I mean, it would have gone a long way, I think, rather than than being out there and putting over how progressive this prince is. If Triple H was saying, yeah, we have a big problem with the way um, they, they treat their women and the way they treat gays, and it doesn't at all reflect um, how we feel. Uh, there wasn't any of that, you know, I don't know. And, and you talked about, again, the difference between um, an, an, an individual artist kind of standing up for something versus a, a company, a whole act. But I think part of the disappointment is that the individual uh, artists, performers didn't do it either. You know, I mean, right. Um, whether it was a Daniel Bryan or a Finn Balor or a John Cena. Uh, and again, easy for me to say, you know, not not uh, having that check dangling in front of me. And, and I think everybody who weighs uh, in on this, I, I saw a uh, a poll on uh, the Pro Wrestling Torch that I thought was a little unfair because it, it was before the show and it was something to the effect of, you know, is WWE right for taking the money and putting on the show? And the the part that that leaves out is, well, how much money was it? You know, it, it, it are, are we talking, you know, $50,000, a million dollars, $10 million, uh, $100 million. And uh, I, I think it's possible that any one of those was was on the table uh, when you're talking about the, the, the Saudi government. So we can't know what the financial stakes were. Maybe that'll come to light uh, in the future in one of their kind of financial reports. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there is part of me that wishes we saw somebody say something, whether it's Ronda Rousey or Finn Balor or Sami Zayn or um, Daniel Bride. I mean, I think the various kind of personalities with the history and a reputation for, for being politically minded, politically, politically aware, maybe progressive, you wish somebody would have said something. Yeah, yeah I mean, 
what if CM Punk was on the roster? Right. I got a feeling he would have said something. You know, I don't know. But it, you know, I, you Daniel know, Bryan. He's, did he's it. the kind of guy. That, yeah, he, Punk is the kind of guy I really think would. Daniel Bryan, and certainly, I think I'm not saying anything bad about Daniel Bryan. I love Daniel Bryan, but, but the thing is, he's just coming back from this this injury. He got reinstated. He he's been wanting to wrestle again, and he's finally got the opportunity to do it again in WWE and, and pick up where he left off. And I think the last thing in the world he really wants to do is rock the boat that much with, with this new opportunity in front of him. Um, maybe if this was a year ago when they weren't letting him wrestle, maybe he would have spoken up and said something. Uh, John Cena is probably the only guy who could probably do, maybe Ronda Rousey, but uh, Cena and Ronda Rousey are probably the only ones who could do it and probably not be fired. Uh, you know, I mean, certainly I, I think if Sami Zayn went, went vocal about his you know, feelings, uh, assuming he, he even has negative feelings. Again, maybe he didn't want to work the show. Uh, who knows? But if somebody like that did come out and protest and, and make a point, uh, I can't see Vince taking it well, you know, and if they're not integral to the show, um, I don't see him using them anymore. And, you know, you know, who, who necessarily wants to put their neck out and, and die on that hill when the show's going to happen, regardless of whether yeah. you speak out ab- about it. And it's not like we have a WCW anymore where you can go and make comparable money somewhere else i mean that's it's your career i understand that um i do think this might have been one of the rare circumstances where the the performers the wrestlers actually had a little bit of leverage to say something because you know if if uh a ronda rousey uh that's kind of an extreme example but let's say a Sami Zayn, who as you pointed out probably has or, or definitely has a lot less clout than a Ronda Rousey or a John Cena. Right. If he went out there and he said, I think it's appalling that I'm not allowed to work on the show because uh, of where I come from. Um, could, I mean, imagine if, if he faced repercussions for that. I mean, what would be the, the, the message that sent, you know, that, that the McMahon family, WWE thought that he's wrong, <laughs> you know, for, for speaking up. I mean, I, I, I think, uh, he, you could have safely said something, uh, and and not necessarily to disparage WWE. I mean, maybe that's kind of the the understood context to it, but just to say that you know I, I, this wasn't right, and I understand it. You could say uh, from a, a business decision, I I understand it, um, but I don't think it's right, and I think this is kind of appalling. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't know. You know, again, and I don't I don't want mean to be uh, too self righteous because uh, I really do understand both sides of this and uh you know at the end of the day i get that wwe uh is a company that offers a product they offer that product for a fee right it's like the local magician you know pay the guy and he'll show up at your party and he'll you know make a a rabbit come out of his hat for your kids and um you know this is what they do the company pay uh, or the the saudi government paid them a whole lot of money well above their fee to come out and put on this show for them and they did it you know um the the problem is that they they did kind of get uh, uh involved apparently voluntarily in some of these politics and uh i wish i almost wish it it would publicly it was more completely kind of transactional where you know no no photos with princes no um you know i, I saw tony niece uh the, all the social media and this is not, not necessarily you know uh wwe's with wwe's approval but pictures of him and drew gulak um on the princess the, the princess lent them their yacht and they were out 
uh, parting it up oh on, gosh, on, really? <laughs> on a yacht. <laughs> and I wish there was less of that. And it was more like, look, you paint us, we'll go there, we'll put on a show for you. And that's it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. But I don't know. And, and I think part of it is that WWE also sees this as an opportunity to put themselves kind of on, on the map globally. Uh, I mean, not only do they see it as not see it as uh, a negative. I think they see it very much as a positive. Look, we're a player in, in world events, right? I mean, as you touched on, you know, we're, we can claim to have a hand in sort of progressing uh, a world peace, uh, which is a bit of an exaggeration. At the end of the day, they just they just put on a show. Um, but I don't but know. But hey, hey, Rocky and Ivan Drago put on a show too. And that if I can change, war. you can change. <laughs> we can all change. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that's that's what I see. I see it as being the uh, the Rocky Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Qu- quickly, uh, as far as as the show, what were your thoughts on it? I mean, I think the what I've mostly heard and agree with was that it was, um, it was almost. I mean, house show is overstating it, but you could have missed this show completely and and not really be any further behind, but for the Raw Tag Team Championship um, uh, being decided, uh, but. The matches were not quite phoned in, but you didn't sense, um, you know, this wasn't like a WrestleMania or even a pay-per-view level effort by the performers. And I think uh, the the agents, the writers, um, it felt, it you know, not quite that they were going through the motions, but not a lot more than that. Um, and, uh, as for the rumble itself, I mean, I thought it was terrible. I mean, it's just, oh yeah, it was brutal. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, my thoughts on the show is I was watching it in, in Western New York, so Eastern Time, and uh, so it came out at noon. And uh, I, you know, I'm uh, I'm kind of watching it throughout the workday, just kind of checking it in, whatever. And to be honest, I was on Reddit too, and and, and getting real time fan reaction and uh, Reddit squared circle. Um, so I'm taking a look at that and watching the show and doing a, you know multitasking, doing whatever I'm doing. And it was kind of a good way to make a, a Friday afternoon go by a little bit more quickly. I mean, I think that's the best thing that could be said about it. Um, the, the Triple H Cena match, it was as by the book and color by numbers as possible. It was but, in slow motion. Yeah, I mean, it yeah, was. Uh, but, yeah, but that's what that audience wanted. Mm-hmm. And they, they read the room and we don't have to kill ourselves. We'll do a story. You know, we're both strong. You're the good guy. I'm the bad guy. Go into the false finishes and then take it home perfect that's that's what they wanted you know the crowd reacted to it um then the you know the show kind of went down a little bit there's not a lot of intensity in the next few matches and it never really kind of kicked into high gear uh but the fans the fans who were there there's a difference you had the the, the royals the people who were there because it's a spectacle they want them to be seen or, or be at it and were checking their phone or pacing around and not really engaged but the fans that they showed uh, who were engaged, they loved it. So that's good. It, it played well to that crowd. I don't think it played well to U.S. audiences who have seen WrestleMania and big shows before and realized that these guys weren't you know, going all out. There wasn't anything particularly memorable, except for maybe the cage match spot with Brock and, and uh, Roman at the end going through the cage. But even that was controversial because technically uh, Roman's feet hit the ground first because he rolled off the cage door first and Brock was still on the cage door, you right. know, just whatever. But um, 
it was it was forgettable. I mean, the, the most the, the 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 one gif that is is the most viral <laughs> yeah. from the show is Titus O'Neil, right? Yeah. Like that's the most memorable thing of that show is Titus O'Neil tripping. Yeah, you know, wiping he, out uh, Hornswoggle's living room set. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, and that's everything too. I, I, well, maybe it was. I can't remember now, but Hornswoggle, when he climbed, I guess when he climbed up the ropes, he did it from inside the ring. But I thought maybe he went to the apron and did it. So, like, there were people questioning whether or not he was technically eliminated because he never went over the top rope. Mm-hmm. And there were people who, and, and for a moment, I thought, you know, something I could see them doing that. That the winner of the the Grace Royal Rumble, they 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 tease or make it hornswoggle at the end because at the end it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's just the show. If it'll, if it'll send the fans home happy and they'll, they'll pop for it, why not do it? You know? Yeah. But you know, uh, luckily they, they did something that kind of made some sense with, with Braun, but it was, uh, it was a mildly entertaining show and it was a good way to make the Friday workday go by faster. Yeah. I do think that one of the cooler things about it was that it was um, at a time that you know you're not used to watching uh, wrestling. The, the one thing it reminds me of, and I wish WWE would would do more of this, was the uh, that Fourth of July special from Japan a few years ago. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which which was I remember. I mean, it was just kind of cool. I think I got up in like the middle of the night with my kid and and went down to to watch it. And and that part is cool. And I wish WWE um, would do more of it. It was fun having a major show to watch, like you said, in the middle of the day on on a Friday. I saw uh, a meme out there. I think it was uh, kayfabe news about uh, a a mysterious illness that that plagued oh, yeah. wrestling fans, and you know, all called out sick on Friday. There was definitely a, a lot of that, and and I like that. One thing. This is kind of a, a less of a point, not quite a minor point, but not a huge point. Um, are, are you bothered at all that that it's another Royal Rumble? I mean, just a few months after the real Royal Rumble, kind of screws up the the history and and lineage. I mean, is is Braun Strowman now a Royal Rumble winner? Is Daniel Bryan have the the longest time ever in a Royal Rumble? Um, I I mean, again, this feels like the Saudi government says, oh, we like that match where you have the thirty guys. Um, we want that, but bigger, you know. But so, bigger, yeah. Yeah. So, but I and and kind of again screws up their year, the history, the lineage. I wish they would have just come up with something else for you know maybe a, just a big battle royal or or some other kind of gimmick match. I don't know. Bring back the uh, the bunkhouse stampede or something. Uh, but but nice. I wish they'd yeah. just leave the Royal Rumble alone. Yeah, I, I think I might have been bothered by that a little bit more at one point. I mean, I. I now at this point, it's just all right. Call it a Royal Rumble. Call it the Saudi Spectacular. Call it whatever. <laughs> it's whatever. It's it's just you know another. It's a cash grab. It's an event. It's fun. Um, so I mean, if you're a historian who goes through like, it is it is fun to watch these things. But before the Royal Rumbles every year, they do the 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 Rumble by the numbers, and you know most eliminations. This guy, most you know whatever. And I remember a few years back uh, kind of being upset because they, they changed from 30 to 40 guys the one year. Uh, and that's when you had all the guys from the Nexus and all the guys from the core. And, and I think they did one minute intervals or minute, yeah. 20 seconds. It's like, sorry, you're, you're screwing with it. You know, it was, it was 30 guys, two minutes apart. And then they kept kind of changing the time intervals and the numbers and whatever. And somewhere in there, you know, you had Vince McMahon winning a rumble and you had, the you know the the rumble both the Lex Luger and Bret Hart won, but then the Batista and John Cena won. Where you know there's controversy over who won, and it, it just kind of all got messy and silly at some point. Uh, it was Roman Reigns, Roman Reigns uh, being number one out 
getting hurt going to the back, spending 45 minutes in the back, and then coming out, you know, for the finish of the, the you know, he, he didn't win, Triple H came out and, and spoiled it, whatever. But, I mean, certainly they've done enough to that Rumble where they've made so those numbers don't really matter. So doing another one where there's 50 guys or, you know, uh, if you really put stock in who was in there the longest and who had the most eliminations or whatever, you know, then, okay, I could see getting your, your panties in a bunch about it, but... <laughs> I think they, they ruined what made it special a long time ago. So this is, you know, no no skin off my nose this yeah, time. Yeah, but I mean, it very much showed, it, as I think the Rumble you mentioned, I think that was the 2011 one, the one that uh, Alberto won, that more is not more uh, in the Royal Rumble. I mean, I think 30 guys, roughly an hour, is the, the right time. And if you push it much more than that, um, it takes away from from the match, and this one definitely did. I mean, this was just below yeah, because the a, a rumble can seem like a really kind of easy idea. You know, you start with two guys and you do everything else, but to put together a rumble match behind the scenes and, and have an agent and, and work that all out, you know, Pat Patterson rightly gets credit for the concept and, and assembling a lot of them, um, but it's there's a, a real art to it mm-hmm. um, because you have to know when to have you know, when does this guy come out and how do we have somebody in the ring he's got a program with or where we're going or whatever. You have a lot of moving parts and 30 is a lot. When you go up to 50, it's like, oh my God, like how do we, you know, so what happens when you have 40 or 50 guys is you have a lot of dead time. You have yep. a lot of guys who are just kind of out there brawling aimlessly, wandering around, you know, until they can get to the next spot that's scripted out. Uh, 30 guys is, is tough. I, I, I've been backstage and watched those matches be put together. Um, it's it, There's a lot to it. Uh, but when you have more guys like that, it, it's not necessarily that it makes the match better. It just makes it a lot murkier and, and harder to, to digest. Yeah. And the other reason maybe to have stayed away from this match is that they're coming off the first ever uh, time where there were two rumbles on one card um, with the first right. ever yeah. women's rumble. So now this is our third Royal Rumble match in what four months? Uh, four something months, like yeah. that. Three, it's just, three months. Yeah, it's just a lot, you know. Um, I, I, it, it sounds like they're committed, right? Wasn't it like a ten-year agreement with uh, the Saudi government? Um, I don't know if the commitment is to this format, uh, but. I, I wish they'd just shake it up. You know, you could have removed that match from this show and still had a pretty loaded show, and, and uh, maybe that's what works out. I mean, just kind of a, a uh, not a sequel to WrestleMania, but um, do you remember, uh, this was 30 years ago, WrestleFest? Uh, where was that? I don't remember where it was, but it was Hogan and Andre in a cage and just kind of a, a, a big... Um, stadium show they put it out on on video cassette i think um savage fought dibiase on it yeah okay yeah. okay so like an 88, 88. 89 maybe yeah Rus- yep. 88 yeah and and uh that kind of thing you know just um you know I, I i thought brock versus roman in a steel cage was exactly the kind of thing that they could have done you know and, and did do and and a nakamura styles uh rematch and just kind of you know, matching up all the top contenders and kind of a, a WrestleMania light sort of version. Um, I thought that would have been fine. That said, the Rumble allowed a lot more guys to get paid and make money, so um, that's great. But uh, I don't know, maybe just the Battle Royal, you know, and playing in with the whole Royal theme. Well, I guess the Royal Rumble. I don't know. Um, <laughs> anyhow, 
uh, and and out of that, right into uh, Backlash this uh, Sunday. I hope to be able to attend. Not a lot to talk about there, but the, the post-WrestleMania, post-roster uh, uh, shakeup, WWE, um, a, a lot of people moved around, but but for the most part, not top players in, in either brand. Both brands kind of kept their very top guys. Um, I mean, you had uh, Samoa Joe move. I guess that was kind of a big move, and and Miz and a few others. Um, but but what are your thoughts on kind of where things are now? It sounds like uh, Roman Reigns is just being moved into something else, uh, and and not clear exactly where he fits in um, to the pitcher. And we're kind of back to a conversation we had months ago about Roman Reigns um, or Braun Strowman, who should the top guy be? And uh, maybe that's one bit of news coming out of the the Greatest Royal Rumble is that maybe more evidence that they're um, ready to start kind of pulling away from Roman and maybe um, conceding that this just didn't work and getting more and more behind Braun, who is over with the fans. So what, what's kind of your take on, on the, the latest sort of WWE reboot and where they are right now? The, the roster change, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm never, uh, it, it, we've said before when we did, they split the rosters, I've never been a, a fan of the, the separate rosters. I just, uh, you know, it's one company. I, I don't like breaking them in half. I know theoretically it can allow other guys to, to ascend and everything else. But for me, and, and I don't know, maybe it's just my bias. Raw is the main show and SmackDown's a throwaway show. And SmackDown has the better roster on paper a lot of times. But to me, again, it just doesn't feel like it's it's must see, even though it's SmackDown Live now and everything else. And when I hear people talking about wrestling, they're typically talking about Raw and SmackDown's an afterthought. Uh, but um, so the the roster changes, it, it shook things up a little bit. I guess it's good, but I don't see it as being a, a big bit of news or anything along those lines. Um, in terms of the switch from Roman to Braun, yeah, I, I'm glad that WWE finally seem to see the writing on the wall with that. I mean, I don't think that you say that uh, the Roman Reigns experiment is done, um, but I think that right now it's time for a heel turn. You know, uh, he, he just wasn't getting over to the point that they wanted. Certainly, he's a main event guy. He main event four WrestleManias in a row. I mean, hell, uh, Hogan didn't even do that. Um, you know, because technically WrestleMania four main event, he interfered in, but he, he didn't main event it. Um, so... Um, Roman got to a certain level, but he, he wasn't going to win over the fans anymore at this stage. Maybe if a heel turn and then he really kind of catches fire as a heel and then the fans turn him face. Great. Perfect. Uh, but they have to make a change. And I'm glad that they didn't just um, skip the coronation at WrestleMania so he could win in Saudi Arabia until in front of what everyone assumed would be a more uh, a hospitable crowd. And as it turned out, the crowd is kind of more into Brock Lesnar than they were Roman Reigns. Um, but Braun Strowman has the charisma right now. He's the hot hand. He's not terrible. He's, he's gotten a lot better. I mean, he's still very kind of slow and, and, and plotting, but what he does works and the fans like it. So certainly it seems like it's time to, to kind of pull the trigger with him. Uh, the problem is that they've already had Braun face uh, Lesnar in the past. Um, I don't know if they've had a one-on-one, but I know they've been they in did, multiple yeah. match, man matches. Uh, they, had, they did uh, have one. Was that Great Balls of Fire? or, or One of their yeah. off-month pay-per-views, they had one, and it, it wasn't great. There wasn't much to it. And it was just such a, a stupid way of, I mean, you know, Braun's taking off. Like, why not 
hold that map so that when you finally get that visual of Braun standing in front of Lesnar and dwarfing Lesnar, it means something, you know, but they, they kind of rushed it and, and everything else. So, you know, he, he's Braun's the, the hotter hand than Roman Reigns right now, but still I, I don't see him being a long-term solution. Yeah. I see him just being the, the, you know, to use a literary term, the, the non-tragic uh, alternative. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. fans would rather have anyone but Roman, and Braun happens to be somebody other than Roman, so he's good for right now. Yeah. I think the real concern with Roman Reigns and, you know, this debate about whether he should be the guy has gone on for years now. And the folks who were opposed it for a long time saw Roman get, you know, vehemently booed. He was the the first uh, babyface ever to be voted most hated wrestler of the year a couple years back in the PWI uh, Achievement Awards. And so you see a guy who the fans are have such a, a passionate sort of uh, revulsion to that you wonder how could this guy be your top babyface? Um, but the the argument from WWE side and and kind of looking at John Cena's career was well you know it, it's good that they feel strongly about him. What you don't want is indifference, and that's where I think there's reason to be worried um, because I feel like that that adamant anti-Roman Reigns um, kind of sentiment has um, uh, kind of gone down a little bit in in the last several weeks. And now it's more just like, a, oh, God, more Roman Reigns. You're right. It, it feels yeah. like an indifference, and, and it feels like he's sort of wearing it, too. So you, I, I watched him last night come out on Raw, and he just looks sort of deflated. And I don't know how much of this is, is me re- reading into it, but it just feels like, He's tired of it. The fans are tired of it. It's just like everybody kind of sees that this isn't working. He's kind of going through the motions. Um, I, I don't think anybody's being done any favors here. I mean, you what, what you want is a uh, a motivated Roman Reigns, and well, uh, it's hard is, for him to be motivated story, when you know everybody's against him. It's the story that they're telling too. I mean, leading up into WrestleMania. You know, he wanted Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's a part-timer. Brock Lesnar's this. I'm here. I'm here every week. You know, doing the same thing that John Cena did to The Rock years earlier, which, again, is why it feels so derivative. It's like we've already seen this, you know. But, okay, um, I want Roman Reigns. I'm not leaving this ring. Okay, well, uh, you get arrested, and then Roman Reigns comes out and and beats you up. And then WrestleMania comes, and you get your opportunity, and you lost. I mean, just – I mean, it's – it's such a storyline that's deflating. Like, how can you rally behind this guy who comes out and says like, well, he's a part-timer. I deserve it. Like a, a baby face doesn't come out and say, I deserve it. Right. But okay, come out and whatever. And then you don't back it up. You, you cleanly lose. And then, okay. So they're building for the, the greatest Royal rumble. And then he's there and he cleanly loses again. I mean, controversy at the cage, but again, you know, he, he lost and, and, and even that match, the match began at the greatest Royal rumble. Brock, kind of shoots in on him German 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 like three yeah. Germans right away and then Brock stands over him as over Roman's carcass there's an old thing in wrestling uh I don't know where where I first heard it, but uh never die if you're a baby face and you're down right you need to always be trying to fight back up to your feet fight back up to your feet and you know give the crowd something to rally behind right so that it's like man this guy's taking a an ass kicking but he's he's still trying to get back up and Roman Reigns laid flat on his back mm-hmm. for I'd say two and a half minutes. Well, Brock just stood there laughing and kind of walked around the cage and, and Roman, he didn't do an undertaker sit up. He didn't do, he just laid there friggin' dead in the middle of the ring. Lesnar could have crawled over the top, gone out the door, 
and then you're thinking, okay, well, the tragic story or the, the story is Lesnar's overconfidence cost. Him. If he had just gone for the cover, ended it right there, he would have won the match, but instead Roman triumphed over the odds and whatever. No, Brock Lesnar still won the match. So, yeah. I mean, there's nothing that they're giving the fans to latch onto that makes them like Roman Reigns. There's nothing. Yeah. I, it, the only thing that you can like about Roman Reigns is his hua, his haircut, and his gear. Like, those are the only kind yeah. of cool things that you might have about Roman Reigns. Everything else about him is just anti charisma, bland, just terrible. And, uh, you know, it's not on him as a performer. It's a, this is what WWE, the story that they're telling, and uh, they're not doing him any favors with it. And again, if it's leading to a long-term story where he, he did this, he did this, he feels like he's disappointed people or that he's never gotten his fair shake or whatever, and he becomes a bitter Bret Hart-esque heel, great, then it makes sense. I just don't trust WWE and their creative team enough to think that this is part of a long-term story. I think this is them just throwing stuff at the wall, like, well, maybe this will work, maybe this will work. So yeah. well, time will tell. And and I think they look again at, at uh, John Cena and his career and and they use that to sort of justify what they're doing here. Um, but even when John Cena's booing section was at its loudest, the cheering section was still really, really loud. And uh, the kids, the women, uh, you know, they, they never faltered. And um Reigns cheering section honestly has never been that strong. I'm not saying that there aren't fans who aren't into him. That there are, and he sells his merch, and you see the kids and and the women. Um, he, he's got his following, but but it's not close to what John Cena had, even when his detractors were at their loudest. And um, you know, Cena, I think always uh, again the difference is even when the fans were booing him um, pretty vehemently, Cena always looked motivated, uh, uh, working hard to kind of uh, prove them wrong or or play to the fans who support him. And Reigns doesn't. He he looks uh, defeated. And the other thing that concerns me is that there is this mindset, and you hear it every once in a while, that, oh, you just, you just can't book a baby face anymore. You can't book a traditional baby face. And you see it with AJ Styles getting huge cheers and Daniel Bryan and Braun Strowman. They've got baby faces who are are really, really over, um, you know, so, and, and yeah, at some point it's like, you're, you're not doing anybody favors, include, including Roman Reigns, because he, um, is very talented and he does have a lot to offer and, um, you know, can hold his own of a main event match and, and all of that, uh, just give him something to work with. I mean, how much fun, now it seems like it's almost, uh, spite, right? They're not, and, and when, in WWE's defense, there were people for, for years who were calling on them to turn Cena, and they didn't. And I think they were right for never turning Cena. Reigns, it's a different thing. I mean, um, I, I really do think that you'd only be helping him, giving him something new to work with, something that would motivate him. That might new material. him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, I it's mean, also I'd... tougher because, I mean, if you – Vince McMahon hit gold with, with, um, with Hulk Hogan. You know, I mean, rock and wrestling, WrestleMania, everything that was that was Hulk Hogan, and Hulk Hogan was kind of in atypical babyface. 
because he was huge. He was this huge muscle man and everything else. But to make him a baby face, he had to face monsters, a steady stream of guys who were bigger than him and scarier and weirder. And, and he could only work one guy for maybe three or four months before it was time to cycle to the next guy. So he was the underdog against Andre the Giant. Then he had guys from Earthquake and, and Big Boss Man and, and King Kong Bundy and all of the guys that he faced throughout his career, really. Um, you know, he, he was the, the, not, not always a smaller man, but these were big, scary guys. And maybe that formula is not going to work today, but Roman Reigns is bigger, stronger than most of the guys he's facing other than Brock Lesnar. And it's really kind of hard to rally behind like this really good looking baby face who has everything going for him, who looks like he should be the dominant guy. You know, there aren't a lot of heels. It's not like we're in the area where you can era where you bring in. The, the monster heels that, that Hogan worked off of because those guys don't exist. You don't go around the indie circuit to ring of honor, pro wrestling gorilla and find the next uh, King Kong Bundy. I mean, they're not out there. All the guys are lean and smaller and you'll find the next Daniel Bryan. Sure. But you're not going to find the next, you know, six, four, six, five, super heavyweight. Um, and if, if Roman had that kind of booking, uh, if he had a lot of guys like Lesnar and it was booked differently against them, I think he could probably get over, but when you're the, the, the guy who looks like an action hero, who's kind of consistently beating up on guys who are smaller than you and then losing against the only guys who are kind of bigger and stronger than you, you're, how can you possibly get over? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just time for a change, obviously, you know, it's, it's been whatever it's been four you years. Like, you sound like Owen Hart. Enough <laughs> enough, and it's time enough for enough. a change. Yeah. Um, all right. And enough, enough, enough is enough for us who have gone an oh, hour and five minutes quick, here. On, yep. On the Owen Hart bit, uh, just real quickly, I was, I was at the merchandise table yesterday here at uh, Cauliflower Alley Club and somebody who came over and bought my book, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, uh, Ross Hart. Oh, I saw the picture you know, of you Owen too. Yeah. And, and Brett's oh, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was cool because he came over and, and he comes here every year. So I'm talking to him and I pointed out that Natalia wrote the foreword to my book and he kind of looked at me and he's Natalia, I know her. <laughs> yeah. I gotta buy a copy. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, what? Yeah. Real quick, what do you think of uh, the this kind of storyline uh, that's that's starting to develop between Rhonda and Natalia as friends right now? A lot of people are assuming this leads eventually to Fallout and them feuding with each other. Um, I think most of what I heard is that people are really interested in that. That could be really good. Yeah, I, I think it's great because uh, Natty. Um, she is a, a wrestler's wrestler. Uh, she gets, should have a lot of credit for the work that she's done with people like Charlotte and others. Um, she has worked with a lot of the girls and helped them really elevate their game. Uh, Nia Jax behind the scenes and Charlotte and everything else. Um, she has this rare ability to help other people become bigger stars than she is ever likely to become herself. Uh, she brings things out of other people. She teaches them so much and, and it really kind of contributes and she's got a reputation for being that way. Um, and whether that's just kind of the heart and blood and her knowledge that she has innately or, or whatever, or just because she's a really kind of sweet person, she's very nice and, and she'll help anyone who wants help. Um, pairing her with Rhonda in whatever way is only going to bring out something new in Rhonda Rousey. So I think it's a, a definite win-win situation. And it's yeah. great for Natalia because it, it's, you know, for, for years, I think, I think it was 11 years maybe between her run as Divas champion and women's champion, you know, the, the, the SmackDown title that she had. She's just been, the, you know, somebody who's been so underutilized for so long. 
uh, by pairing her up and, and putting her with the hottest act for a little bit, I think that's a, a fantastic uh, kind of prize for her for, for years of service to the company. Yeah, yeah. And I think everybody gets to win. I mean, obviously, Rhonda would beat her, beat her clean. I, and maybe somewhere, you know, there, there's probably a lot of folks along the road, but at the end of the of that storyline, Rhonda's got to come out on top. That's um, a good conquest for her, you know, early in, in her career. Uh, it's probably going to help her put on some good matches early on in, in her WWE run, which is a good thing. And as you said, I mean, it's great for, for Natty to get that kind of uh, attention. So, uh, yeah, win-win for everyone. Looking forward to seeing it. All right, Dan, uh, get back to doing whatever you're doing over there or go lounge out in the sun in, in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> after I after I face a room full of hostile, uh, fabulous moolah. Yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear, to hear how that goes. Well, we'll see. Uh, as, long as, um, as long as I survive it, I'll, I'll give you a full report. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, thank you, Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back soon.